You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. It's a real privilege to be um, sharing the word of God uh, with you this afternoon. And um, I'm going to be preaching from the book of Titus. Everyone say Titus. Titus. For some of you, that's the first time you've ever heard of the book of Titus. That's fine. I was chatting to someone yesterday and they were like, I've never heard of Titus. Didn't know it was in the Bible. And um, it's one of those where like, if you sit in a Bible study, if you've been around church long enough, and they say, we're looking in Titus, you try and sneakily look at the contents page so you can look like you know where you're going. Um, but Titus is in the New Testament. And uh, Titus is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. And Titus is one of three, bo- three books in the New Testament known as the pastoral letters. And it's known as the uh, pastoral letters simply because we've got the Apostle Paul writing to two young pastors. And we've got First and Second Timothy, and that's Paul writing to Timothy. And then we've got Titus, which is just Paul writing a letter to Titus. And he's telling him um, about some church doctrine, things to stand strong to, some ways that he can implement some church leadership. And so we've got a pastoral letter here written by the Apostle Paul to a guy called Titus. And Titus, he's on a Greek island called Crete. Has anyone been to Crete on holiday? Oh, quite a few people. Never been. Um, I was, you know, I ended up Googling it, looking online, booked a holiday. No, I haven't. Um, It's really beautiful anyway. But um, back in the day, um, Crete was known actually for kind of its um, ungodliness, the best way to put it is. It was known for its the way its values were shaped um, in a way that was broken and fallen and went uh, against God's way. And, and scholars think this is because a lot of mercenaries, so people that were paid for war and paid to go to war, lived on this island. And so a whole lot of their lives was based on just temporal satisfaction. You know what? I might get paid um, to go and fight and I might die tomorrow. So that means I just live for now and for today. And so Titus is in this really difficult environment. And I want you guys to have... This is the backdrop as we read. I'm going to read from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. If you have got a Bible, it'd be great if you could turn there. If you've got a Bible on your device, take a look as well so that you can follow along and also to see if what I'm saying is true. Fantastic. It's going to come up on the screen as well if you haven't got a device. Let me read for us then. From verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things that you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Some really powerful verses there. And actually some of my, my favorite verses in the whole of the New Testament. Simply because for me, this was, this was a game changer in me reading this. It helped me understand a, a big complex part of theology that I never quite understood before and struggled to get. And what Paul is saying to Titus here, in essence, he's saying the same grace that has saved you, the same grace that has appeared to you in Jesus Christ on the cross and his shedding of his blood is the same grace that teaches you every single day to walk as ones who are free. Teaching you each and every day to live 
as though you are recipients of the grace of God right here at the cross. And so today, the title of my sermon is simply Taught by Grace. Taught by Grace. And you see, what Paul is, is talking about here, it's a, a big branch of theology um, called sanctification. And really simply, salvation is split into two parts, okay? We've got justification and we've got sanctification. And so justification, bear with me, okay? Justification, all it is saying is that we, because of what Jesus has won for us, because his blood was shed on the cross, because he rose again three days later victorious, if we put our faith in him, we are justified. That means that we have right standing with God. We are forgiven by God. That means that he calls us his child, That means that we are victorious in him. That means it's true when the Bible says that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. Incredible. So that we stand justified. One part of the saving work of grace of God. But then we have this other part. So we're justified, but then God has a process to do. And I love what it says here. It says the same grace that has done this is also doing this work. And this is sanctification. Now, all sanctification is, it's two Latin words smushed together, sancti focare, and it means to make holy, to make holy. So we're justified, and then God promises us that the other part of his saving work is that he's going to make us holy. He says, be holy as I am holy. And God promises that actually the same grace that has done this is the same grace that is going to teach us how to walk as a holy, set-apart people, to walk in the truth that we are sons and daughters. How many of us know that even when a physical baby is born, we don't just leave it? You know, Tolu and Io, you know, they've got wonderful baby Theo now. He's a, he's a few days old, and it would be ludicrous in our minds if there was a newborn baby, and we just kind of left it on the floor and said, crack on, live, human being. The Bible actually paints for us that when we're saved, is that we are spiritually born again. That means we're spiritually birthed, and and 1 Peter paints this picture of of new believers being like newborn babies. It says, be like newborns, longing for spiritual milk, and he's talking about the word of God there. And so in the same way that Tolo and I are going to lift up their little one, and they're going to walk with it and nurture it and teach it the ways of the world. Him, what did I say? It, I shouldn't call a baby it, sorry. Teach baby Theo how to live is the same way that God, in his saving work, he's birthed us, he's given us new life, but in the same way, he picks us up and he said, I'm going to show you my ways. I'm going to show you how to walk as my child. I'm going to show you how to walk worthy of the calling. He doesn't just leave us here. And church, that is such good news. That is such good news because for me, I know that I'm not going to always get it right. I know that sometimes I don't fully understand, but we learn here that the same grace that has saved us, the same grace expressed on the cross is the same grace at work in our lives right here today. He's showing me. He's saying, Luke, that doesn't belong and doesn't fit on you anymore. You're my son. Let me show you what it's like to walk as a son of God. Let me show you what it's like to walk in authority as a son of God. Let me show you what it means to pray properly, Luke. I'm not just going to let you try and fumble along or get it on your own, but my grace will teach you. And you know, we, we have this process in our natural lives. And um, in my preparation for this, 
I stumbled across um, some words of wisdom from kids on Facebook. Facebook is good for some things, hey? Even sermon preparation. And uh, there's some words of wisdom from children here. It says, uh, Patrick, age 10, never trust a dog to watch your food. Good wisdom, Patrick. Michael, 14, when your dad asks you, do I look stupid, don't answer him. James, 13, James, James, James. Never tell your mom her diet is not working. <laughs> God bless him. Robert, 12. Oh, don't know about this one. Never pee on an electric fence. Okay. Robert, that's a painful lesson to learn. Emily, 10. Now, some of you might get this, depending on, on uh, what your dad's like. Don't pull dad's finger when he tells you to. Yeah, so, some of you know. Talia, 11. Mm, I saw that. I've got a big sister. I've seen this in action. Okay. When your mom is mad at your dad, don't let her brush your hair. <laughs> Naomi, 15. She's wise. She's learned the ways. If you want a kitten, start by asking for a horse. <laughs> Some of you are learning. Some of you are learning. Joel, 10. You know, my mom actually reminds me about that. We've got a dog. And when I was like eight, I was like, mom, I'll walk him every day. I'll feed him. And now I don't do any of that. My mom's like, reminds me of that moment when I was eight. I was like, mom, I was eight. Of course I was lying. Anyway, <laughs> that was for you, mom. Um, Joel 10, age 10. <laughs> Joel 10, I'm not reading from the Bible. <laughs> this one, I don't know what happened. I'd like to have seen this. Don't pick on your sister when she's holding a baseball bat. And two more, Alicia, 14. This is, this is wisdom. If you're a young person here today, this is wisdom. When you get a bad grade in school, show it to your mom while she's on the phone. Uh -huh. <laughs> I like that. And finally, Eileen, aged eight, church kid, never try and baptize a cat. Wow. <laughs> I love that one. So we've got some lessons learned there by, by kids growing up. And, and all of us, we have so much to learn in our normal lives, in our natural lives, but but as we grow in God, there's so much for us to learn. And he takes us, you know, from kiddlehood to adulthood, from, from birth to maturity as believers. And it's by the same grace that has saved us that he does this. He intends day by day, by his grace, to make us what we already are in Christ. Does that make sense? So we are justified and this process of sanctification is teaching us how we live in this place. How we live in this victory. Grace in the Greek here in Titus is the word charis. Any charises here today? No. Well, I'm going to publicly declare, if the Lord blesses me with a wife and a girl, I'm going to name my daughter charis. No, it's whatever my wife wants. Um, <laughs> it's a great name. It's a great name. It means the undeserved favor of God. The unmerited favor of God. If karma has an opposite twin, then it's charis. Karma would say, you, you get what you deserve. If you do bad, bad will come with your way. And God's like, no, no, that's not how it works. Let me show you, actually, you're undeserving of Jesus. You're undeserving of this grace. But here it is anyway. The undeserved favor of God. And then the word teaches here literally means to train or instruct a child. Or some translations, it would be translated as to discipline. So we've got this, this picture here of the kindness, undeserved favor of God 
disciplining us, training us, discipling us so that we can live more and more like Jesus. God teaches us to live free in this place where the charis of God, the grace of God teaching us each and every day. And in the context of this passage and the previous verses, Paul writes this because he is saying that there is a way of life that makes the doctrine of salvation attractive. He's saying the way that you live your life declares something about your Savior. He's saying, I want you to live in this way. Wives, husbands, young men, young women, I want you to live in such a way that the world might see something of Jesus. They might think, wow, what is going on in that person's life for them to live in such a way? The way that we live declares something. What is your life declaring? What is it heralding of your Savior? We stand justified, but is your life declaring that? And I know so often for myself, I fall short, but I trust that his grace is teaching me every single day. So then what does grace teach us? Well, grace teaches us to live. And, and for us to remember, really simply, I broke this into one sentence. Grace teaches us to say no to sin, and it teaches us to say yes to him. Sounds a bit cheesy. Sound a little bit like an American pastor, but hopefully it stays in your head this week. Grace teaches us to say no to him and yes to him. The work of grace. In verse 12, we read Paul say, it, meaning grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Those things that I spoke of that Christ freed us from on the cross, the grace of God empowers us to say no to those things. And the truth is, we need to stand and say, by the grace of God, that is no longer fitting for my life. That shouldn't mark my life anymore. That doesn't belong in my life anymore. There is a willful rejection of the pleasures and desires and values derived from this present worldly system. And it's saying, God, would you show me your way? I don't want to live bound by this anymore. Paul uses a triplet here that that covers pretty much every base. He says that in this present age, you will live self-controlled, talking of ourselves, upright, which has a connotation of our lives amongst others, and godly lives. So we've got ourselves in self-control, we've got upright lives in that we won't sin towards others and godly. So if you feel like no base is covered, all bases are covered. Paul's setting the standard high. He's saying, in your personal life, in your quiet time at home, when no one can see it, you've got to say no. In your workplace, when you're surrounded by people, if you want to honor God, you've got to honor others. And he's saying, ultimately, if you don't get any of that, then live godly lives. And that covers every base. For some of us, we, we need to learn to say no to some of the sin that dominates our, our, our private life. An example that I pulled out is, is lust and, and specifically pornography. For many here, I'm sure at some point in our lives, or even right now, pornography may have had a grip on your life. And let me tell you, God does not want you to be gripped by this. It is unnatural, and it is not godly. And, and I had to learn about this. In my teenage years, this was something that gripped my life. 
pornography was a stronghold in my life. And up to the age of 17, I gave my life to Jesus when I was 15 years of age, and I had to decide, this shouldn't mark my life anymore. This isn't befitting of the Son of God. A son and daughter of God, I shouldn't be sitting in this because God's way is love, and this isn't loving. God wants sex within a marriage relationship. He doesn't want it like this, shown for the world to see. He doesn't want me to walk in this and have my mind warped towards women. I need to get free of this. And by the grace of God, he taught me to say no. I signed up age 17 to freedom in Christ. I'm not trying to sell you freedom in Christ, but it was incredible. Learning about who I was and what that meant for my life. To be able to say no to some of these things. And you know what? Thank God, by the grace of God, age 17, I was set free from this. But let me tell you, does it still come knocking at my door? Am I still a man with desires? Yes, of course. But by the grace of God, he has taught me to say no. Because there is a higher way. There is a greater way, church. And some of these things in your life, it might not be pornography, but there's some things that you need to say no to. And by the grace of God, you're empowered to say no. Church, there is so much life and fulfillment when we begin to say no to sin and yes to him. His, his design and desire for your life isn't that you would be boxed in. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and life in its fullness. The enemy might lie and say, no, actually, this is the way that you're going to feel loved. This is how you're not going to feel lonely. This is how you're going to be accepted. But I say, no, no, that's not for me. Why? Because the grace of God has taught me to say no. And will continue to teach me. For some of us, maybe it's in our relationships around us. Maybe once before we were in Christ, we, we, we were manipulative in our relationships. And as I was praying into this, I really felt this for some. That we use kindness and, and nice words, but really it was flattery. Really it was flattery because we wanted, it was a means to an end. We had a, a, an end in mind. And God would say to you today, I want to show you that's not the way. I want to show you that's not how you treat the people of God. I want you to live an upright life. Church, when we sin against man, we sin against God. Am I saying it's easy? No. If you've ever played football with me, even in the last few weeks, you'll know that the Lord is still teaching me. Don't do that, Michael. <laughs> it's difficult. In the heat of a moment, Words that are not befitting of a believer, especially a preacher, to come out of your mouth. But the Lord is teaching me. Am I proud of that? No. But the Lord is helping me each and every day. Church, the grace of God just doesn't leave us to figure it out on our own. I have to run to him each and every day and say, Lord, I need you. When I fall down, when I stumble, I come to him and I say, God, I need your help. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord, that I've fallen from your way, but thank you for your grace that teaches me. We don't have to be bound by sin and shame anymore. For some of us in particular, we, we think and we cause a, a distinction between our, our lives online and our lives in person. We're sat here today and we, we think, yeah, I'm upright and upstanding when I'm with people but really, there's something that's, that's a bit dark and twisted about our conduct online. About what we try and show of ourselves. What we try and, 
and show the world that we are. Why? Because there's something within us that wants acceptance and wants a level of significance and wants a level of security. And God would say, no, you can say no to that. Why? Because I'm your significance. I'm your acceptance. I'm your security. You don't have to be immodest online. You don't have to try and feel the love of a man to feel love. It's not in that. Let me tell you, it's in God. For some of us, the Lord today, he wants to assess our heart motives. It's not just about actions that would seem godly, but he wants to come right to the heart of the matter and assess our hearts. His grace teaches us to say no. What do you need to say no to today? You know, 1 John 1, it says, those that say they are without sin are saying God is a liar. That's a big bar. I know for myself, I'm not there yet. While I've still got breath in my lungs, the Lord has work to do on me. But I know that he is patient, that he is kind, that he is gracious, that he wants to make me a vessel to display his glory. And church, we have to come to this place where we say, Lord, I want this more than anything. God, I want to be like you. Jesus, I desire to be like you. Get rid of this from my life. To every day trust that he is with us, that he is for us and teaching us. So grace teaches us to say no to sin, but it also teaches us to say yes to him. It's not just denial for the sake of it, so that we can um, just say, yes, look at my lives. So good and clean, devoid of, of sin. But actually, it's that we can embrace more and more of God, more of who he is and his ways for our lives. Self-controlled, upright, and godly, those things aren't just walked in by an absence of, of rubbish or wrong things. But embracing virtues and God's good gifts. Saying, God, I, I want to walk in the purpose that you have for me. I say yes to you. I'm going to love the way that you love God. Teach me how to do that. Every day I pray, Lord, would you, would you teach me how to love the people that you've put in my charge like you do, oh God. For some of us, you know, maybe you're in a position of leadership and you, you get to lead some folks and, and love on them and pray for them. And it, and it can feel really difficult. And, and you might think, I have no idea how to do this. You might have little kids. And you think, I, I want to raise you in the best way. I want to love you right, but I don't really know how. And something that I always love and I always fall back on is the shepherd loves his sheep far more than I ever could. The shepherd loves his sheep far more than I ever could. Jesus loves your children more than you ever could. Jesus loves each and every one of you far more than I ever could. And so I take great comfort in that because when I come to him, he will teach me his ways. If you're looking how to raise your kids, come to him and say, God, I want to embrace your ways. Teach me to raise them right. Help me to teach them in the way that I, they should go. Because his promise is that they will not depart from it. Don't have it just in your head what that might mean or look like. Come to him. Ask him. We read in verse 14 that Jesus has come to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Eager to do what is good. Eager to do what is good. Not begrudging, not sad, but eager. 
And the Greek word for eager here is where we get the word zealous from. The idea of a, of a passionate conviction that the people of God, what marks a justified people of God being sanctified by his grace is that we are passionate for good works. That we are passionate to do the things of God. Not apathetic, not just not caring, not thinking, oh, my life needs to be devoid of sin, but embracing every good, every bit of good that God has. Saying, God, I, I want to be kind like you do. God, I want to serve your people as you do. Jesus himself. We read Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man did himself not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We look to Jesus and he sets the ultimate example. You know, maybe some of us here, we've become a bit weary of doing good. Maybe feeling like God's called us to something and it was, it was his divine hand that brought you into the place or the job that you are. And you sit here today and you think, I'm fed up of doing this. God, I, I want to give up. And today, by his grace, I believe that the Lord would want to stoke in you a passion again. For the place where the Lord has called you. Unless he's calling you out, I believe that God wants to grace you again. We need to come to him each and every day because he teaches us how to say yes to him. As I was praying in preparation, again, I, I don't know where this falls, whether it's saying no to sin or yes to him, but I feel like there's, there's a few of us in the room that are, in the place that we're in, we're, we're forfeiting greater usefulness because we feel like if I do this, someone else is going to receive my praise. And there's, there's a way that you could be effective there. There's a way that you could shine Jesus there. But something within you causes you to stop because I don't want that colleague. I don't want my boss to receive the recognition I should. And even as I say it, you can, you can hear how ugly that sounds. And it might not seem as blatant as that. It could be subtle. But my encouragement for you is we serve not man, but we serve God. Which is why we're passionate for good works. We're passionate to do the things that God calls us to. Whatever it looks like, whatever the cost, God, I'm yours. And he teaches us how to walk in this. May God's grace fill you with a passion for good again. By the saving, sustaining, transforming grace of God, we are not only purified of sin, but there is a shift in our passions and our desires and what compels us to do good. The value system driving Christian life is based on his generous love and his grace and his mercy. At the end of each day, asking ourselves, have I said yes to God today? Did I walk in your ways, God? Was I patient today? Did I bring a smile to someone's face? Did I say words of healing? Did I let go of my anger and my resentment? Did I forgive? Did I love well? Was I kind? Did I speak truthfully today? And to be able to say, no matter the circumstance, however tr trying or testing, God, I want to bear the fruit of the Spirit. My job is to remain in you, to say yes to you. And your promise, God, is that as I remain in you and you in me, I will bear much fruit. And some of us, we just need to say yes to being in him again. To say, God, I need you as my strength. I need you as my source. We've become 
sad and weary in doing good. For some of us here today, we just feel lethargic about serving God. And God, by his grace today, would want to fill us with his spirit that we might be empowered to do good. Church, the people of God should be zealous to do the good work of him who sent us. Grace teaches us to say no to sin and yes to him. And really quickly, I want to look at how we are taught and just cover a few different things, really brief things. And if you've been in church for any time, you'll have heard these mentioned many times. But I want us to remind, remind them of us again today. And the grace of God teaches us in different ways. And one of the key things to understand is that if grace is the teacher, then the curriculum, the syllabus, the thing that we're trying to learn is truth. If grace is the teacher, then truth is the curriculum. And there are different ways we grow in truth, and it's all through and in and by the fullness of grace and truth himself, Jesus. But there's some things here, and they're going to come up on the screen. And ultimately, in all of these things, we're trying to look to Jesus to become more and more like him. So firstly, through prayer. In Matthew 26, verse 41, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he instructs his disciples. He says this. He says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Why, when his disciples have already failed him and will do again, is he telling them to pray? He's telling them to pray because in this fight of faith, as we pray, our hearts become more aligned to his. As we pray, we begin to understand what he likes. We discover who he is more and more. As we sit before God in humility, we are saying, God, I need you today. For some of us, we just need to begin to pray. To understand the fullness of grace and truth, spend some time with Jesus. Spend some time in prayer. Set some time aside to seek him. I read a book recently, and it really convicted me about kind of morning routine. And one of the things this guy does, he, he starts his day by like rolling out of his bed and getting on his knees. Getting on his knees in a posture of humility saying, God, I need you. And it's a great way to start the day. Don't go to Instagram to start your day. Oh, the light helps me wake up. Don't go to the news to start your day. Go to him. Come to him in prayer and say, Lord, what would you say today? Bring your burdens, cast your anxieties, cast your cares on him. We grow in truth and grace teaches us through grace, through, the, through prayer. And secondly, grace teaches us through the Bible. So key, this one's so, so important. In John 17, verse 17, Jesus, again, he's praying this time. And he says this, he's praying to his father and he says, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. He says, make them holy by truth. Your word is truth. He's praying this for his disciples before he leaves them. And church, if we're going to be renewed in our mindsets, if we're going to live a life that says no to sin and yes to God, we need to understand what his ways are like. We need to understand what sin is. We need to understand what he desires for each and every one of us, and we know through his word. If we want to get to know Jesus, then we've got to read about him. 
and meet him and encounter him through his word. If we want to see the way that he lived, then we get to know him through our word. If you haven't got a physical Bible, I encourage you to get one. This has changed my life. We used to do something really cheesy when I was out in Singapore. And uh, we used to get the kids to lift their Bibles up. I think it was in America somewhere that it started. And uh, we used to say, this is my Bible. It says who I am. It leads me and guides me. And it will change my life forever. If you love Jesus, let me hear you say amen. amen. Yeah, you guys got there in the end. <laughs> but we, we did that with the young people, but there was such truth there that it leads me, it guides me, it will change my life forever. It says who I am and it says who I can be. Your word is truth and truth sanctifies. Are you reading the word? Some of us today, we're longing to encounter God and we come to a worship service and we let Mark lead us and we're buzzing and then we fall into the same things each and every week and a big part of it is because we're lacking any sense of remaining in Jesus. We come and we expect to be fed and fueled for the rest of the week just from this one moment. And let me tell you, that's not how God designed it. He wants to meet with you every single day. This is why people in Britain died so that you could have this in your hand. So that it could be translated to a language that we understand. This is why people all across the world are making sure that people have this in their mother tongue. Why? Because it's so important. It says who we are and it says who we can be. Church, get in the word. If you don't know where to start, ask someone else. Maybe speak to a life group leader. I'd love to chat to you if you're not sure where to start or you've got some big questions. Don't start in Leviticus. That's my encouragement. You can get there eventually. Grace teaches us by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Truth. And it says in the Word that He will lead us into all truth. Holy Spirit, God Himself bringing the Word alive. The Bible is the only book that you need to read with the author right next to you. We need to read the Word of God led by the Holy Spirit. What was once just information on a, on a page becomes revelation that can change our lives. Asking God, what, what are you trying to say to me? Jesus, what are you saying? What does this information mean? What does this interaction that you had with this woman, what does that mean? What does this interaction you had with this tax collector, what does it mean? And what does it mean for my life? Not to ask the question on an, just an intellectual basis, but to say, what does this mean? And what does this mean for my life? What does this say? And what am I doing about it? And the Holy Spirit helps us. The Holy Spirit brings something that's just a nice thought and brings it into the center of our will that we might outwork it by His Spirit. Romans 8.13 says, If through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Ultimately, it is only by the power of the Spirit that we say no to sin and we say yes to Him. That's why we sing, I need you. Lord, I need you. If I'm going to do anything on this earth, for your kingdom, Lord, I need you. Next, grace teaches us in and through community. You know, I painted this picture of, of, of us being like newborns, of, of us being born again. And it talks about us being in, born into the family of God. And here, if you're a follower of Jesus, whether CLM's your home church or not, this is the family of God. You might not like your brothers and sisters that much. It's fine. The Lord will deal with it. 
But this is the family of God. And together, in this place of new birth, new identity, grace is teaching each and every one of us. We're all maybe walking at different paces. But the same grace is teaching us. And my encouragement is don't try and do that on your own. God has placed people in and around your lives for a reason. You know, here, one of the the heartbeats of the house at CLM is life groups. We meet on Sundays here for church, but then we meet in life groups during the week where we come together, we study God's word together, we, we talk about life, we talk about faith, we pray together. Why? Because we grow in groups, we grow in community, in a place where we can, we can confess to a brother, say, this is what's going on, I, I struggled, I fell down here, would you pray for me? It's where people can walk life with us. Community is so important and grace teaches us through it. If you're not committed to community, then get involved. Get involved in some way and some capacity. God doesn't want you to be out here on your own. God wants you in the family of God, walking with the family of believers. Sometimes it can be difficult, but by his spirit, there is unity. Get involved. Finally, grace teaches us through adversity. Tamsin, if I could have your help. And I'm not going to try and delve into the theology of suffering today. But scripture makes it abundantly clear that a major way grace teaches us to live is through adversity in our everyday life. And the best way for me to detail this is to read some scripture. It will come up on the screen. And and I encourage you, if you're going through some tough times in your life right now, take note of this passage. Go home and read it. I'm reading from the message version as it puts it really eloquently. The writer of the Hebrews says this, in this all-out match against sin, others have suffered far worse than you. To say nothing of what Jesus went through, all that bloodshed. So don't feel sorry for yourselves or have you forgotten how good parents treat children and that God regards you as his children. My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment, it's training. The normal experience of children, only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us, so why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them, but God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain, but later, of course, it pays off handsomely. For it's the well-trained who find themselves mature, in their relationship with God. And you know, there's so much that we could speak in to this and some really powerful, impactful verses there. I wouldn't have the boldness to say this on my own, but this is the word of God. And if there is adversity in your life at the minute, whether it's the work of another and, and the sin in their life or the enemy is trying to wreak havoc or you've inflicted it on yourself or God has brought you into this or something else entirely different. I don't know for you specifically, but I do know that if you trust God, 
and rest in His grace that there is purpose in your pain. That God is working together for the good of your life. That grace is teaching you something in this time. I don't know exactly what it looks like. And I, I've sat with, with a brother in the last few weeks experiencing some awful stuff in his life and in his health. He, says, I, he said to me, Luke, I don't know fully what's going on. I can't explain it, but I still know God is good. And I still know that he's trying to teach me something in this. And if you have the courage, if you let his grace teach you and sustain you and strengthen you enough to ask him the question, Lord, what are you trying to teach me in this? Your perspective on your situation will change. The adversity you're walking through will look so, so different to how it did before. Your situation might not change, but your perspective will, church. His grace is teaching us each and every day. And outside of that adversity, as we come through it, we'll have something worth more than gold. A deeper relationship with him, knowing more who we are, knowing more who he is. And that's something we can rest in. His grace teaches us in adversity. You know, teachers and their personalities and who they are make so much of a difference in our lives. What about grace then as a teacher? Really, as we've discovered, the grace that teaches us is God himself. And church, whether you feel a sense of conviction of saying, I need to say no to some things or yes to some things today, let me just encourage you about who our teacher is. You see, God, he is kind. He's so patient with us. He is so loving. He's not like a normal teacher. He's not got a school report that remembers your past mistakes and reminds you of them. His mercies are new each and every day. He knows you better than anyone. If a teacher might say, this kid's got potential, God screams of it. He sings of your potential. Why? Because he put it in you. He knows the purposes and plans that he has for your life. He never loses his call or gives up on you because you just don't get it. He will never leave you or forsake you. He's not going to go off to a private school because he gets more money. God's with you in this. He's invested in you. He will not condemn you a failure. Church, grace as our teacher, his belief in you is relentless. He is steadfast. He's not passive, but he's active and he's transforming us that we might look more and more like his son Jesus. That we might display his glory. That we might be lights in this dying world. That we might stand as lights in the darkness. That we might herald, my God saves. I know that my God saves and he's got a purpose and a plan for you. A people that are passionate for holiness, that don't push it to the side, but would say, God, by your grace, make me everything that you want me to be. Even in the midst of this adversity, God, make me who you want me to be. God, if it means getting up earlier and getting in your word and getting into prayer, God, I will. Jesus, I want to be like you. Will you let his grace teach you today? Will you let his grace train you and show you in the way that you should go? Allow me to pray for us today. If I could invite us to close our eyes. Church, the beautiful truth of all of this is that all of this is happening while we wait. In verse 13, it says that while we wait for our blessed hope, however far we get or don't get, 
The promise of God is that ultimately one day we will see him and we will be like him. He will complete the work that he has promised. But right now, today, there's a decision to make to say, God, I choose to let your grace teach me. And today, if someone has spoken to you of yielding again to the grace of God in your life, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet right where you are. If you're saying, God, I need your grace to continue to teach me and sustain me, I'm gonna invite you to stand to your feet all across this place. Thank you. Say, God, I yield to you again. Maybe it's that you need his grace to teach you to say no to sin, some things in your life. You say, God, I stand here and say, God, I need your grace. Maybe it's to say, God, I, I want to ha- be able to say yes to embracing your purpose. And, and today I make a stand to embrace all that you have for me. I'm not going to run away anymore. Father, thank you for your incredible grace. And Lord, I pray for each and every person that has stood in response to your word today. Father, I thank you for them. I thank you that they are your sons and your daughters, that they stand as the children of God. And I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come now? Would you fill them afresh? Would you strengthen their inner being, oh God, that they might stand, that they might fight the good fight of faith? Father, I pray that their lives will display the splendor of the one that they serve. Father, I pray that the men here will be like oaks of righteousness that stand for righteousness in the places that you have planted them, oh God. I pray that our women will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace, oh God, that display the splendor and beauty of our King. So we pray, Holy Spirit, come. We receive of you afresh today. Your mighty name, Jesus.